Rooted in Revenue with your host today, Susan Finch. And I'm going to kind of let you introduce yourself that way. Okay. Everybody, this is Susan Finch, and I am your host today for Rooted in Revenue on the Funnel Radio Network. And today I am interviewing Craig Ospo. And the reason why I met Craig is because Nina Hamilton, who is on our team, as we know, everybody loves Nina. She said, you need to interview my professor because he's the real deal. And he knows everything about international marketing and has so much passion and joy. To me, it's your diversity. It's the exposure that you've had and all the experience that you've had and that you are also, that you teach current things to everybody. But because of all of your experience, it's where you are today and why you have such an interesting view of international. Mm-hmm. of international marketing. And a lot of people wouldn't have that opportunity had they not come along your path. Yeah. So, um, you know, an obvious one because of the background is um, a professional musician who was doing so many different versions of marketing related video and audio productions mm-hmm. fell in love with marketing and decided advocation and vocation would change hands. And in that ran an agency in the whole natural, organic and sustainable world that became not just a USA trend, but a worldwide trend, which then drove him into international, uh, his clients going international. One specific, which would be Bob Moore standing up and saying, I wanna be everywhere there's a McDonald's. I look it up and go, that's 119 countries. I better learn something about other countries. And of course, Bob's (laughs) in 85 plus now. Uh, So international became a part of it, which is how I ended up on the export council, which is how I, how I, how I, how I, I mean, you know, it all just kind of falls out. As you know, most of our history, we look back on it and go, well, that's weird. I never would have got here. If you had told me back then that I'd be here, I would have designed an entirely different path to get there than the path that led me here. Right. I mean, most of us don't see that, you know, the odd way in which we arrived where we are we all have we all seem to have that story Mm -hmm. if we choose to recognize it and review it i review it with a big smile on my face when i look at some of the odd things i have done that have actually contributed to my success my effectiveness in what i do for others indeed and i had this we were on a uh, zoom call with uh, my students. Now, my students in international marketing, I've told them at max, we'll do three live Zooms. Otherwise, they're pre-recorded. So this was the midterm opportunity for me to introduce the final project and giving them the rest of the term to think about that project and all the guest speakers begin to build. So it was my chance to say, hey, remember, we're coming down a funnel. You don't have to worry (laughs) about the project yet, but you're going to get more education going on and hear from more experts about doing this. And they're all looking at the background, you know, and going. And I finally just said, look, one thing you realize in your life as you go through uh, the transitions through different careers is that I will make this statement and you'll probably say something to the same about something else that seems bizarre. I could not do what I do today without all of that. I learned my management skills in the music business. I, I, and I started going down to, can you imagine managing such incredibly sensitive egos 
We're on born out of such incredibly insensitive people, <laughs> artists. I mean, everything I needed to learn about management, I learned yes. managing bands, uh, being a part of it. So that was kind of, you know, just, I don't know how I do today what I do without my <laughs> 10 years of nothing but straight touring as a musician. Uh, it, it just taught me. So, and it's the whole reason I got into marketing because I was producing for marketing videos, long form videos, short term commercials. I was writing music for them. So they went, hey, this looks like something I could really invest myself into and stay a musician, which I did. So anyway. That's a great background for this. And you just heard his story. How many times do you hear somebody becoming an international marketer by being on tour for 10 years? I've never heard that story. And I've heard many stories, Craig. <laughs> well, it is true. You know, it's so funny. I mean, my business partner used to laugh. So when my business partner, before he went to journalism school, he, it turns out he was working um, right across the street from one of the number one clubs in Los Angeles that we played all the time. We were the top band in LA. Now, let Where me tell you it? what it means. Where was it? The Redondo Beach Red Onion. Oh, cool. Yes. And we did the Red Onion circuit. Now, what made us the top band in LA? Um, we sold more alcohol when we played than any other band. <laughs> so that's what made you a top band in LA. So you can make your own decision as to whether any good or not. I can just tell you everywhere we went, the alcohol sales went through the roof. So I, he would, of course, tell me that he would be in that club the same exact years that I was playing there. And we probably saw each other. But of course, he was there as a young man looking for, I guess, his next date or something. And I was there playing in the club. And he would always say to me, uh, what's playing with the monkeys or Donna Summer and her husband or, or, or got to do with marketing? And I'd look at him knowing he worked across the street saying, well, what's working at Southern California Edison got to do with being a PR guy? You know, I mean, all these twists and paths in our career lead to other things. And as I shared with you, how could I possibly do what I'm doing today without the music business and everything I learned in that business about human dynamics and people and management and let alone the fact that I was producing for commercials and long form video, et cetera. So, the twisted path, the way we find ourselves in different occupations, it's its kind of interesting. And it, it's timing though too. So you had an amazing opportunity and perfect timing for coming into the natural and sustainable trend. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's huge. I did. And um, <laughs> so every time I see Cameron Healy, who was the former owner of Kettle Chips, I walk up to him and he says, Craig, you've thanked me enough. <laughs> and because he knows every single time I see him, I say, thank you. Because Cameron is the one who introduced us to this world that became our entire world in the agency. And he's the one that insisted that we go to the natural product show in Anaheim, Natural Products Expo West in 1995. And, you know, Ken and I have bets, well, boy, how many hippies are going to be smoking pot in the booth? You know, I mean, we're like, oh, what's a natural product show? I mean, we had no clue. We opened the doors at the convention center and went, are you kidding me? I mean, we were blown away. The amazing 
business structure that had already been built about this thing some people thought was a fad and truly was this massive trend. And we always say we were never, ever smart enough to see it coming. But when it hit us over the head in Anaheim, we were smart enough to know where we were. And again, Cameron, thank God, was part of this group of seven, they called themselves, the seven Northwest natural food companies that would get together and share information on, hey, uh, I want to move into Northern California. Who's your distributor? Or Safeway wants me to pay slotting fees. Are you paying slotting fees? And how are you getting out of it if you're not? You know, those kind of conversations. But those seven were Bob's Red Mill, Kettle Chips, uh, Nature's Past Cereal, uh, Ease Veggie Cuisine, Cascadian Farms, Stretch Island Fruit Leather, and Pacific Foods. Shortly after that, Cascadian Farms sold to General Mills. The other six all became our clients almost overnight. And there we were in the natural products and business in 1995, 96, 97, 98. And it became where I could really invest not only my career aspirations, but my heart and my desire. Because for some reason, I drank the Kool-Aid. Uh, by the way, that was natural Kool-Aid made with agave <laughs> sugar. And, uh, I drank the Kool-Aid. Cane sugar and, or stevia, you know, one of the yes, two. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and, indeed. So that brings me to why I wanted to have you on. There are people that I, I hear people that want to get into international markets. They want to take their clients into, or their clients are saying, hey, I want to get into more countries. And they have never set foot in that mm -hmm. arena. They are so used to just being domestic and they have domestic down and they can get it out there and they know how to identify where to push it, even in the different regional markets. Mm -hmm. But when we switch over to another country, another continent, another culture, another language. There are roadblocks that come up. There are holes we step in and they are avoidable. And I was wondering, this is why I had you, is if you could give us some pointers for a newbie, for somebody that is, oh my gosh, I've had this local client and they have the best product and we're about to take this one, you know, this one off or two off or three off product line and they want to expand into Europe. They want to expand into Asia. What are some pointers you can give them of what they need to do some research on before they just plunge in based on what they see from their Google AdWord person that's advising them, based on what they're reading on Twitter? They can't be that narrow. It's a deeper discussion. It's a deeper bit of research and they have to do it or their client will fail which will make them fail and nobody will ever hire them again. Indeed. And how often would a perceived failure, which is how most of us learn, which, so it's not really failure. It's part of the process. It's the old stoic philosopher thing of the obstacle is the path. Yes. Um, how often do they fail because they didn't do the research or they just assume hitting the obstacle means, oh, I won't be good in that market or yeah, I've tried international. It didn't work for me when really they hadn't really, as you say, done the research necessary to know why they need to be there. Because if they're an entrepreneur, they were already told by everyone who surrounded them, whatever job you quit to do, whatever you did, you're out of your mind and you never should have done that. Um, meaning your family always cares mostly about you 
and your personal success and they want to keep you from harming yourself by saying stay with your job and never become an entrepreneur because that's the <laughs> safest path for you right but that's not necessarily what drives an entrepreneur it's this passion it's this desire it's this belief that the world will be a better place if my product is experienced so what would i do first i'd take a moment to really sit down and think do i want to be an international business when i start or a global business do i want to do international marketing international sales or global and the way wait, I wait 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 you're you, you're talking things that people get confused quite often yes so uh, yeah go ahead you want the definition so yes. here's what i say to the students here's the beauty of today in the old day 10 years ago <laughs> Um, we would just say international business, which in many cases that meant we were not only doing distribution in another marketplace, but eventually we were putting people there. We were hiring people there. They understand that market. In other words, I would call an international business someone who has offices or extension of themselves in other countries. Mm -hmm. Today, we have what's called cross-border e-commerce. The opportunity for us as a made-in-the-USA brand to sell all over the world without ever leaving the comfort of our own home is available to us through cross-border e-com. Meaning there are places like in China through Alibaba, Tmall, Taobao, uh, their network or JD.com or, 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 where products are being sold to Chinese consumer through those platforms that are products all over the world. Many of those products are fulfilled out of America or France or England at the time that the Chinese purchase it. Many of those products are sitting in country for more ease of quick fulfillment, because by the way, the Chinese lead the world in e-com as far as, and especially the Chinese consumer has very little patience for waiting long. So, you know, they want it now or forget it, I'll get it somewhere else. But nonetheless, so you, you've got to make a decision on whether you fulfill in country or not. But to me, a global business is someone who's doing business in multiple areas of the globe, but they're really not opening offices there. Um, they may travel there to a trade show. They may travel there to meet with distributors and buyers for eventual, maybe uh, let's pretend they're a food product and they eventually want to be on a retail shelf in China, but they're going to try, if you will, cross-border e-com first to see there's a great test of the market for you to see, does the market accept my product? Do they understand my product? And by the way, it, just using the Chinese again, they're always looking for made in the USA products because they trust your food compliance much more than they trust their own countries. And there's reasons and rationales, and we don't want to go into the 2008 melamine scare with baby formula and all that, but there's reasons that they do that. And they look to the Europeans as great food compliance. So if you're in that kind of product, they're looking for made in the USA is a great moniker in many of these countries because it means a trusted product of, oh, what do we talk about? Brand promise, it's a promise, I can trust it. Um, they trust made in the USA. So if you're a USA brand, even an entrepreneur that maybe is doing some local West Coast distribution, but you haven't even hit the United States, some people are going to sit around and go, well, why don't we conquer the United States first before we go abroad? Right. In the meantime, you go, wait a minute, my product is oriented towards a certain type of consumer. And I'm now more interested in psychographic than demographic. They fit a profile of someone who really needs and wants and desires what I have. 
before I hit the entire United States, I may want to hit other pockets of the world where I segment my audience because you can segment your audience, not only in the United States of America, but around the world. Who is this ideal profiled person? Oh my God, there's an entire group of them in Argentina because, 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 because. What if I offer myself on this platform that allows me to do cross-border e-com into Argentina and test my product viability, my brand promise, my uh, made in the USA moniker uh, with them to see if there's a viable market. Now, maybe I arrive in the country a little later to a distributor that I want to use and say, look, look at what I'm doing in e-com in your country or to a retailer. Look what I'm doing in a five mile radius around your store. You've got all the data. All that data is available to you because you're selling online. So you've got all the analytics. Now you can have a, a justifiable purpose for a distributor or a buyer picking you up in that market because you can show them the people right around the area that are already buying your product. Why don't they just go to the local store and they'll get it faster? So you can build an entire business structure without ever leaving the confines of the United States of America until you're ready to discover more about the population, the people that you're going to sell to. So you have this great option of understanding where's the market opportunity for me around the globe. And the only other thing I'd say is, you know, I'm a baby boomer. By that statement, I just said, I'm an American. You cannot say baby boomer. You could argue that there was a baby boom in London. You can argue that there was a yes or in England. If you're called a baby boomer, you are an American. If you are called a Gen Z or a millennial, you are a global demographic. You are a global generation. Millennials are millennials in Peru, Russia, China, as are Gen Z. These are global generations that are generate, they're connected because they have one of these, which by the way, the United States of America is not the top in no. smartphone penetration. No. <laughs> so they have one of these and this little puppy right here allows them to be connected through their social networks or whatever. So this is a connected world that we're selling into. Uh, uh, if you're selling and saying, oh, I got this great product for a Gen Z, where's the Gen Z's all over the world? Where are the Gen Z's that fit my product profile and what I'm trying to accomplish and where are they and how can I find them? And again, I don't have to open an office in Bogota. I can sell in to Colombia without doing that. Does that make sense, the difference between how I consider international or global? It does, it does, but it also opens up a couple more questions because I wanna back it up even further. I'm really talking to the people that don't know where to go look to find, how did they, you know that your market was in Argentina. Where did you go find that information? And we, we had talked about this the other day, yeah. ready yeah. resources, free extensive yeah. and people forget to go look for the should be obvious but not so obvious because not everybody has you as a professor <laughs> yes thank you for asking that and remind me that yes where would i go i'm fortunate enough to sit on the regional export council for the department of commerce and so i understand clearly what they offer and why they offer what they do and here's one of the things i'd love to tell the students i always ask hey why would the United States government spend hard-earned taxpayer dollars on helping you 
sell your product outside the borders of the United States? And it just sounds like a setup for you on a question. They're all going, hmm, why? I'll tell you why. The more product you sell outside the borders of the of the United States for your Made in the USA product, the more jobs you create in America. The US Department of Commerce is very concerned about and, and puts a lot of attention towards, let's help you create jobs in America by helping you find a market way outside the borders of America. Therefore, they provide tools and resources and advice and webinars and meetings and trade shows, and they will find a trade show and bring buyers to your table. And they'll hire interpreters to do the language interpretation to sell your product. There are more resources for you available through the United States Department of Commerce and the US Commercial Service than you would possibly believe. And here's a great thing. So the student's final project is they have to create a brand that doesn't exist. And part of that is they've got to identify a country. They pretend they're selling well in America. They choose where or what and how they're doing, but they got to um, choose a country that their product that they created is going to sell well into this market. Now they got to justify it. How do they do that? Well, they go to the websites that I give them. And on that website, they're able to look up, first of all, their harmonized code. Harmonized codes are a way that the world now deals in, uh, I just happen to know an Apple, 080808, and then six more digits. And that says Apple grown on a tree that blah, blah, blah. That's a Washington Apple, 080808. And it's that 080808 every single place in the world because the world has now agreed on a harmonized code system. So now if you're an Apple grower, you can do research on 080808 worldwide you've got a harmonized code to deal with that you're also going to put on your export license you're going to put on everything else and then there's six more digits depending upon the nationality to identify organic or to identify this so you look up your harmonized code for your product which is a website for that too and by the way i can uh, give you these links to Terrific. these websites so we'll you put can them do it in for post. yeah so now you know what am i referred to around the world and you can do a lot of research based on that harmonized code. You can also go to uh, one of the Department of Commerce commercial service websites. We have people all over the world that live in country and do market reports on that country, its products, its services, et cetera, so that you as a USA business have access to market information, market access information. So let's say you want to do a beer in Bolivia. There's a report that tells you how Cerveza is doing in Bolivia, who are the competitors, who are the domestic competitors, who are the foreign competitors. If you were to come into this market, what kind of product would, would be accepted by the people? Who are the buyers? I mean, it's everything you could dream of in these country reports. And these country reports are done all over the world by our friends at the US Department of Commerce and the Commercial Service to help you understand the market opportunity. And by the way, this is free. Now they have other resources. When you start to engage them and say, could you help me set up blah, 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 blah in this country to do this? And if they say, hey, there's a trade show, 
uh, coming. And these resources are kind of be free if you go uh, global, go to this trade show and we'll be there and we'll help you do this. There are other things they'll say, well, there's a small, I mean, they'll say, well, there are fees to that. These fees are so small. <laughs> what you might pay to get this customized help. So uh, I cannot encourage people enough to contact their local or regional uh, US Department of Commerce, commercial service, et cetera, to start asking questions about where they can find help in understanding the market opportunity in X country or wherever it may be, because those resources are available to them and they're available online. And there's an immense amount of research that someone has already done for them that they can learn. So they're not just taking the advice of their good friend who's visiting from the Ukraine and says, boy, this would sell great in the Ukraine. And you're going, well, why? Well, I just know a lot of people that would have this. Well, <laughs> why don't we go do a little research and actually find out where the market opportunity is? Because while we look to the Ukraine or somewhere else, we might suddenly discover that our greatest market opportunity is our Mexico right. or, 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 and you can find that out before you ever make a commitment to do anything you can find out. This episode is wonderful. And I think that so many CMOs, let's assume every CMO knows about all of this yeah. and every product development lead knows this. Of course you guys do. Of course you do, because why wouldn't you? It's free. It didn't cost, you didn't have to hire a consultant. You didn't have to do anything. You had to spend some time and dig through this. So of course you all know, but make sure that your interns and your teams under you have that list of trusted. That's the key trusted unbiased resources mm -hmm. of research before you guys choose to launch and spend a dime anywhere else spend the minimal here and most of it is time grab that and like yes and like anything else i i'd advise a cmo what a great opportunity to assign a project or a series of projects to people who work for you and say look in the midst of all of your regular activity, here's a project. I want you to understand the market opportunity for us in Central America. And here's where you go and here's what you do. And here are the countries that are there. Come back to me and tell me where we should be and why we should be there. And what's the market opportunity there? What does the US Department of Commerce or the commercial service say about this opportunity? If you're a food and beverage product, don't forget the Foreign Agricultural Service, the FAS or FAS as they're called. They're many times the one in country doing those reports on food and beverage. And there's another avenue for you. So whether you're a microchip or a microbrew, you have places to go within that system uh, where you can find out the people who are responsible for that. And if you don't know where to go, pick up the phone and call. Just call your local World Trade Center. Call, you know, 
it, even if it's not local, if you're in Oregon, give a call to the folks in Portland at the U.S. Commercial Service. I promise you they're going to tell you exactly what sites to go to, where to go, and how to begin to discover it. And they're probably going to invite you into, when we can gather again, a free cocktail networking session where you'll meet everybody you ever wanted to meet, because uh, they do those too. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, we've had to do those virtual during our pandemic times, but uh, nonetheless... <laughs> well and there are, I just read about a company in USA Today that they have increased their business five times. They are cocktail aficionados and they have been making cocktail kits and doing corporate events and online yeah. virtual events and mailing those out. So there is opportunity too for that. Okay, you heard Craig's challenge. You CMOs, you product development leads, assign these tasks. Let somebody do the research see what they can find that you haven't thought of and don't forget to reward those efforts too and brag on them because you might get the best idea of the year from these project assignments i dare you to do that i i'm so appreciative that you challenge them to that because you know when we sit here in oregon as you and i are 80 percent of everything we make and grow must be sold outside the borders of Oregon. We cannot consume everything that we make and sell. 40 some percent of that 80% must be sold outside the borders of the United States of America. Often, if you're not in international business, haven't been exposed to international business, you have no idea that the guy in the building next door, 80% of his business is around the globe you just happen to see him in your local store or something and think he must be selling to all of America. And he's going to say to you like Tillamook, well, no, we're really big on the West Coast. We're now making a major move across the United States, but we're also looking at Asia. Because I've been with Tillamook on trade missions and I've been in Singapore doing a port tour when they were all handing our cards with two hands and the gentleman from Tillamook hands the gentleman who gave us the tour uh, his card and he goes, Tillamook? Tillamook ice cream? And the show was kind of embarrassed. It's like he was suddenly the Beatles or somebody, you know? <laughs> and he says, uh, yeah. He goes, I'm never without your ice cream. And of course, in his mind, he's going, we don't export. Well, what a lot of people don't understand, let's talk about your distributor agreements. Unless you sign a distributor agreement that says you cannot sell outside the borders of the United States to anyone, you typically don't cover that off in your agreement. They have the right, your distributor, to sell to anyone they want to. So someone approaches them and says, hey, I want two containers of Tillamook ice cream. They go, great. Back at Tillamook, they're going, great, we just sold to it. Well, what a deal, cash up front. Not knowing it was being sent to this foreign country and it was being marketed there. Uh, great opportunity for you to be a rock star or uh, a new brand in a country, but what are they doing with your brand? How are they controlling your brand? You CMOs, think about this. How much money do you pay to have total control of your brand, your brand promise, and how your brand is represented? Imagine it being represented on your behalf in markets you may move into someday, but you didn't even know it was there. And by the way, they're getting that product from their distributor. You can't change that agreement. Now you move into that country and now you're competing with yourself.
someone else is selling your product cheaper to go against you selling your product. And you say, well, that can't happen. Oh, trust me. Not only can it happen, it is happening. Woo, that's uh, a whole so other topic you, for another episode. Oh my gosh. Oh, it is. It is. I mean, there is so much that goes on there, but you'll find often your product may already be in other countries if you're working through distributors and you just don't know it. And that, like you said, good and bad. <laughs> yeah. Good and bad. Craig, thank you. I think we're going to have to have you back on too, because we also hinted at talking about where do you find the ways to avoid cultural and country faux pas? Oh, yes. To make sure that when you are marketing something, let's take, for instance, going back a few years, the Nova car. Yes. Nova in Spanish, bad thing means no go, Nova bad name for a car. <laughs> so <laughs> exactly. Those are the things yeah. that people need to think about too, when they do want to get into these other markets. So we've given them homework in this one. Mm -hmm. The next will be, they have their decisions. They know what countries. So then they're going to have to go learn how to do business in those countries properly. So they don't fall on their face, embarrass themselves and become a PR nightmare. Right. Yeah, indeed. Uh, uh, become a PR nightmare in the midst of what could have been this massive success for them, exactly. a new market opportunity to create. I mean, the best thing I could say to them and leaving them is if you feel you have a very strong relationship with a group of consumers in America, I can promise you that that profile, that exact segmentation of consumer exists all over the world, all over the world. And they're just waiting for you to come with your product because they want it just like your consumer in America because they'll trust it just like the consumer in America. They, they, you've got, to, of course, one of the biggest challenges pricing, but you, you've got to think about that, that your market is much bigger than the United States of America. There's a consumer out there just, I'll finish with one story in China doing the uh, research that I was doing, qualitative research in Shanghai and Qingdao. These uh, two women came up to me at the end uh, and I took my picture with them uh, and they then grabbed my hand, both of them, grabbed each one of my hands in two hands and they said, please come back, please come back. We need what you're offering. We need trusted products here. Please come back. I mean, it was the most sincere request I had, I had ever experienced from anyone saying, I mean, they just need what we have because our compliance is off the charts in comparison, because they can trust when they look at the ingredient deck. Yeah, that's what's in there. As opposed to looking from their home country going, I wonder if that's really what's in there. And that's all over the world. So you have a market opportunity as a Made in the USA brand. Uh, and you have partners at the U.S. Department of Commerce and the U.S. Commercial Service that are dying to help you. <laughs> a lot of it for free. I love it. Craig, thank you so much. How can people find you? Uh, you can go to, of course, well, my, my email, I refer to my firm as O, like an O, because it's emotional, O-H exclamation is what I talk about OH strategic branding. So O strategic branding, all one word.com. And you can email me <laughs> Craig at O strategic branding.com. 
thank you so much. What a joy to have you on. And you have given a challenge. I want to hear about people. Folks, if you take this challenge, tell us about it. Tell me about it. Find me on LinkedIn. Find me over at Funnel Media Group, LLC. Find me at Rooted in Revenue. Find me anywhere. Just look for Susan Finch. I'm the brunette. I'm not the voice coach in New York because that is Susan E. Finch. She is my friend, but I'm not her. So find me and tell me your stories. I want to hear you CMOs that put that challenge out and what came back from it. Thank you so much, Craig. I'll look forward to sharing this episode out and having you on again. Thank you. Would love to. Would love to. We'll take it deeper. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So this has been Susan Finch for Rooted in Revenue today. And we'll look forward to finding you or, hey, find us on every podcast venue that you frequent. We are there. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Never miss an episode. Check out rootedinrevenue.com and subscribe on the site to get weekly updates of when new episodes come out. Or find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio. We want to be where you are. So go subscribe. We'll get you all the information you need to do your best with marketing of events and your online presence.